Question to the Prime Minister, Mr. Alex Burkhart. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Number one. Prime Minister. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. The Cabinet, Mr Speaker, will meet this afternoon to consider the draft agreement the negotiating teams have reached in Brussels, and the Cabinet will decide on the next steps in the national interest. I am confident that this takes us significantly closer to to delivering on what the British people voted for in the referendum. We will take back control of our borders, our laws and our money, leave the common fisheries policy and the common agricultural policy while protecting jobs, security and the integrity of our United Kingdom. And, Mr Speaker, I will come back to the House to update it on the outcome. <laughs> Alex Burkhart. Yesterday saw the best wage growth figures in a decade yeah. and the best employment figures in my lifetime. Yeah. Does the Prime Minister agree with me? that this can only be delivered by the free market economics that unite this side of the House and not by the bankrupt socialism opposite. friend is absolutely right. As he references yesterday's figures, they showed more people in work than ever before. They showed the female unemployment rate at a record low and, as he says, the fastest regular wage growth in nearly a decade. But, can I say to my honourable friend, that is also on top of figures last week that showed our economy growing three times faster than the Eurozone average. The share of jobs on low hourly pay at a record low, and the number of children in workless households at a record low. But you only get that, you only get that by good conservative management of the economy. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. After two years of bungled negotiations, from what we know. From what we know of the government's deal, it's a failure in its own terms. It doesn't deliver a Brexit for the whole country. It breaches... If necessary, I'll say it again and again to members on both sides of the House. Voices must be heard. I happen to know that there are visitors from overseas in the gallery. Let's try to impress them. Order, not merely with our liveliness but without courtesy. Mr Jeremy Corbyn. It breaches the Prime Minister's own red lines. It doesn't deliver a strong economic deal that supports jobs and industry. And we know they haven't prepared seriously for no deal. So does the Prime Minister still intend to put a false choice to Parliament between her botched deal or no deal? Prime Minister... 
Can I say to the right honourable gentleman that he's wrong in the description that he set out? But can I also say to him, time and time again, he has stood up in this House and complained and said that the government isn't making progress, the government isn't anywhere close to a deal. Now, when we're making progress and close to a deal, he's complaining about that. Can I just say, I think, I think what that clearly shows is that he and the Labour Party have only one intention, that is to frustrate Brexit and betray the vote of the British people. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, after the utter shambles of the last two years of negotiations, the Prime Minister should look to herself in this. And she hasn't managed to convince quite a lot of people behind her. The Rail Minister... The Rail Minister resigned last week saying to present the nation with a choice between two deeply unattractive outcomes, vassalage and chaos, is a failure of British statecraft on a scale unseen since the Suez Crisis. And that from a Tory MP. Last night, the EU's lead Brexit negotiator reportedly told the 27 European ambassadors the UK must align their rules, but the EU will retain all the controls. Is that a fair summary of the Prime Minister's deal. Prime Minister! Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, as I have said all along throughout these negotiations, what we are doing is negotiating a good f- deal for the United Kingdom. We're negotiating, we're negotiating a deal that delivers on the vote of the British people, that takes back control of our money, law and borders, that ensures we leave the common fisheries policy, we leave the customs union, we leave the common agricultural policy, but we protect... We protect jobs, we protect security, and we protect the integrity of the United Kingdom. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, under the Prime Minister's deal, we're going to spend years with less say over our laws or how our money is spent. And the International Trade Secretary said last week that the decision to withdraw from any backstop agreement could not be contracted to somebody else. Can the Prime Minister confirm whether under her deal it will be the sovereign right of the UK Parliament to unilaterally withdraw from any backstop? Prime Minister! I say to the right honourable gentleman, there needs to be a backstop as an insurance policy. There needs to be a backstop as an insurance policy, but neither side actually wants us to be in that backstop because we want to bring the future relationship into place at the end of December 2020. And I'm aware of the concerns that uh, there are that we don't want to be in a position where the European Union would find it comfortable to keep the United Kingdom in the backstop permanently. And that's why any backstop has to be temporary. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, I think that non-answer has confirmed that Parliament won't have that sovereign right. Uh, Mr Speaker, the uh, International Trade Secretary breezily declared he'd have 40 trade deals ready to be signed the second after midnight when we leave the EU. How's it going? Well, with four months to go, can the Prime Minister tell us exactly how many of these 40 deals have been negotiated? Prime Minister, we are doing two things. First of all, we are negotiating to ensure that we maintain the trade deals that currently exist with the European Union when we leave the. Order, order. I, I'm sorry. It's not acceptable 
for members to shout at the Prime Minister when she's answering questions. We've been talking recently in this chamber about respect and good behaviour. On both sides, the person who has the floor must be heard. And that's the end of the matter. The Prime Minister. We have been negotiating on two fronts. We're negotiating on the continuity agreements, which ensure that those trade deals that have been, we've been party to as a member of the European Union are able to continue when we leave the European Union. And we have also started discussions with other countries about the trade deals that we can forge across the world once we leave the European Union. But I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, if he's interested in trade deals, he really needs to sort out the Labour Party's position on this issue. Because originally... Originally, they said that they wanted to do trade deals around the rest of the world. Now he says he wants to be in the customs union. That would stop him from doing trade deals around the rest of the world. We know what's good for this country, an independent trade policy and trade deals, good trade deals with Europe and with the rest of the world. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, the International Trade Secretary is not the only one who doesn't understand international trade rules. And he's not the only one in the Cabinet... And he's not the only one in the Cabinet that doesn't understand a few things. The Brexit Secretary said last week, and I quote, I hadn't previously understood the extent of this, but we are particularly reliant on the Dover to Calais crossing. When did the Prime Minister become aware of this absolutely shocking revelation about Britain's trade routes? The Prime Minister... I really have to say to the right honourable gentleman, he stands here and reads out something that says that uh, we don't know about trade policy. We do know about trade policy. That's exactly, exactly why, exactly why we're negotiating the uh, continuity agreements. It's why we'll be taking our place as an independent state in the World Trade Organisation. But he, he wants to uh, he wants to talk about different positions that are being taken. What we're doing is delivering a good deal that would deliver on the vote of the British people. We're delivering Brexit. What have we seen recently from the Labour Party? Well, the Labour leader, the Labour leader said we can't stop Brexit. The shadow Brexit secretary said we can stop it. So when he stands up, he should make it clear. Is it Labour Party policy to stop Brexit? Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, Labour respects the result of the referendum. But what we don't respect is the shambolic mess that this government has made of negotiations. The mess they've created that they can't now get themselves out of. We won't let them destroy this country's economy or the jobs and life chances of so many others. And Mr Speaker, if the Brexit Secretary is still in office by the time the Cabinet meets this afternoon, could she take him on one side and have a quiet word with him and tell him that 10,000 lorries arrive at Dover every day, handling 17% of this country's entire trade in goods, estimated to be £122 billion last year. This woeful ignorance by a person in high office is disturbing to so many people. This government, Mr Speaker, has spent two years negotiating a bad deal that will leave the country in an indefinite halfway house without a real say. Yet they think they can impose a false choice on Parliament between a half-baked deal or no deal. When a sensible alternative plan could bring together... 
matter how long it takes, the right honourable gentleman will not be shouted down in the House of Commons. It's as simple and unarguable as that. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, when a sensible alternative plan could bring together Parliament and the country, even Conservative MPs say the Prime Minister is offering a choice between the worst of all worlds and a catastrophic series of consequences. When will the Prime Minister recognise that neither of these options is acceptable? The Right Honourable Gentleman talks about woeful ignorance. I'll tell him where the woeful ignorance lies. It lies on a Labour Party front bench that thinks you can build a better economy by spending £1,000 billion more, putting up people's taxes and destroying jobs. The real threat to jobs and growth in this country sits on the Labour Party front bench. And I'll tell him what we're delivering in relation to Brexit. We He says, what about Brexit? Yes, I'll tell him what we're delivering on Brexit. We, we will not rerun the referendum. We will not renege on the decision of the British people. We will leave the customs union, we will leave the common fisheries policy, we will leave the common agricultural policy, and we will take back control of our money, laws and borders. We will deliver Brexit, and the United Kingdom is leaving the European Union on the 29th of March 2019. Mr Peter Bone! Um, Thank you, Mr Speaker. Is the Prime Minister aware that if the media reports about the EU agreement are in any way accurate, you are not delivering the Brexit people voted for, and today you will lose the support of many Conservative MPs and millions of voters across the country. Can I, can I say to my honourable friend, can I say... Oh, dear, members must calm themselves. I've often advised taking some sort of soothing medicament and people may feel better in consequence. I want to hear what the Prime Minister has to say and I hope the House has the courtesy to want to do so as well. The Prime Minister. Can I, say to, can I say to my honourable friend that what we have been negotiating is a deal that does deliver on the vote of the British people. In the list that I set out earlier, I, I left out one of the things that the British people are very keen to see from this deal, which is an end to free movement, and we will ensure that we are delivering on that, as well as those other elements that I have set out. What we're doing is a deal that delivers on that vote, but in doing so protects jobs, protects the integrity of our United Kingdom, and protects the security of people in this country. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Scottish National Party, with other opposition leaders, have written to the Prime Minister, urging her to drop plans to prevent a truly meaningful vote on the Brexit deal. Shamefully, it seems that the Government is seeking to prevent opposition amendments to the deal, effectively gagging the sovereignty of Parliament by playing dirty tricks on procedures. Can I ask the Prime Minister, what is she afraid of? Is her government so weak that the Brexit deal will not succeed when other solutions are still on the table? Prime Minister! To the right honourable gentleman, we have been very clear that there will be a meaningful vote in this House. We have also been clear that the motion on the deal will be amendable. 
But I also say to the right honourable gentleman that I think if you went out and asked any member of the public when the government brings a deal back from Europe, what do you expect Parliament to vote on? I think they would expect Parliament to vote on the deal. Ian Blackford. expect Parliament to take its responsibilities, which is holding the government to account and to amend the deal. This Prime Minister is hamstrung, divided, desperate and looking defeated. In a total panic, the Prime Minister has been reduced to playing political games rather than playing fair. Mr Speaker, this is not a game. The SNP will never, ever gamble with Scotland's future. There is only one lifeline left. To protect jobs in Scotland, we must stay in the single market and the customs union. The Prime Minister will not drag Scotland out against its will. If there is a deal to protect the economy in Northern Ireland, why not Scotland? Minister! The gentleman stands up and says that the SNP will not gamble with Scotland's future. I say to him, the SNP gambles with Scotland's future every time it stands up and talks about independence. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Figures released yesterday show that for the first time ever, more than half of disabled people are now in work, including many military yeah. veterans. Yeah. So will the Prime Minister join me in thanking those employers who have signed up to the Disability Confidence Scheme, which has allowed such great strides to be made in this area? Well, can I say to my honourable friend that, first of all, it is very good news to see more, more disabled people getting into the workplace, and I'm grateful to him for raising the Disability Confidence Scheme. And I'd like to praise the work of my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions, who created and personally championed this scheme since it started back in 2013. As my honourable friend obviously knows, it works directly with employers. It aims to challenge perceptions of what it means to employ a disabled person, and we will continue to ensure that we're giving. Uh, every possible uh, effort to make sure that more disabled people who want to be in the workplace are able to take their place in the workplace. Chris Elmore. The Prime Minister's likely Brexit agreement will leave our country economically weaker, mean that we take EU rules without any say and give years of uncertainty for business. Not my words, the words of her latest ministerial resignation, or at least the latest as far as we know. Does she agree with him, and isn't it about time she admitted that there is little to no support for her reckless plan in her Cabinet, and even less in Parliament? The Honourable Gentleman, as I have said earlier, what we're negotiating is a deal that will deliver on the vote, that will actually ensure that, and the proposals that we put forward in the summer do ensure that we're able to see that frictionless trade across borders, that free trade area with the European Union, and gives Parliament a lock on those rules. Antoinette Sandbach. In 2017, ministers committed to provide visualisations of the rolling stock depot and viaducts proposed in my constituency by HS2. After a whole year of delaying, HS2 are now refusing to deliver on this commitment and ignoring ministers. Will the Prime Minister ensure that within the next week my constituents get the visualisations of the viaducts and rolling stock depot they were promised so they're able to comment on the draft environmental statement? 
Prime Minister! Honourable friend, I recognise the concern that her constituents have raised uh, about this issue and indeed uh, would like to thank her for the hard work that she has undertaken in order to campaign on this issue on her constituents' behalf. I understand the, my right honourable friend, the Transport Secretary, is aware of this issue. He is urgently looking into it. And I would encourage my honourable friend to continue to engage with the Transport Secretary on this matter so that uh, it, to ensure that her constituents get what they were promised. Marion Fellow. Mr Speaker, post offices are closing in their hundreds as postmasters struggle to make a living on the contract introduced by this government. Through its North Star initiative, the publicly owned post office is aiming for £100 million of profit by 2021, while postmasters' pay has declined by £107 million since 2012. Will the Prime Minister take action now to save our post office network and intervene to ensure postmasters get a fair rate. Prime Minister. Can I say to the Honourable Lady that obviously we have seen a change to our post office network across the United Kingdom and that has happened as people's pattern of behaviour in relation to uh, these matters has, uh, has changed. And I'm sure the post office is making decisions that they believe are right for local communities to ensure that the services are there where they are needed. I would. Reductions in business rates will help thousands of small and medium-sized shops, restaurants and pubs in our town centre. Will the Prime Minister uh, commit to continue to, to work for fundamental reform of local business taxation so that our local uh, shops and businesses of all sorts can compete fairly with the uh, online giants? Prime Minister. I say to my honourable friend that uh, to thank him for raising the fact and referring in this House to the fact that we are raising the change, uh, to, we are changing business rates and bringing in those changes to help uh, local businesses. But we do, we are determined to help local businesses, and that's why we're also working to implement reforms to make the system fairer and more effective. That will include three-year revaluations, removing the so-called staircase tax tax and with the new check challenge and appeal system and we're aiming to increase the local share of business rate receipts to 75% from 2020-21 and uh, in relation to future taxation I can assure him we will of course continue to keep it under review. We're streeting. Thank you Mr Speaker. The brutal murder of a mother in my constituency shot in the back with a crossbow in front of her family just four weeks before she was due to give birth to her baby has shocked to the core people up and down our country. Uh, I know I will speak for every member of this House, Mr Speaker, in expressing our deepest condolences to the family and our best wishes to the baby for a speedy recovery. Given that the, these weapons, like the crossbow used to kill my constituent, are readily available for sale online, can I urge the Prime Minister to look urgently and seriously at expanding the ambit of the Offensive Weapons Bill so that we can toughen the scope of the laws governing the sale, the possession and the use of these deadly weapons. Yeah. Prime Minister. Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, he has raised what is a terrible and tragic case in his constituency and as he has said, the thoughts of the whole House will be with the victim's family and friends and our deepest condolences go to them following this terrible attack. Um, 
Crossbows are subject to strict controls, but we do keep the legislation under review, and we will consider the risk that such weapons pose to public safety and whether further measures are needed. And we will, of course, look at that in the context of the legislation we're bringing before the House. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, well, my in agreement that the government has invested millions in the railways in this country, yes. but when my constituents are still suffering from chronic overcrowding on carriages, that it's incumbent upon Network Rail to deliver projects on time so that new rolling stock can quickly be put into place to alleviate their overcrowding. Minister! Well, can I say to my honourable friend, he's highlighted the fact that we are delivering the biggest rail investment programme since the Victorian era. I think he said we're spending millions on our railways. Actually, we'll be spending nearly £48 billion on modernising and renewing our railways. That will deliver better journeys, it will deliver fewer disruptions. But he's right to say that it's absolutely vital that Network Rail delivers uh, their projects on time. I'm, I'm told that Northern's new rolling stock is, due to, uh, is currently planned to serve lines from June, July next year. But I know my honourable friend has been campaigning excellently on this issue, and I'd encourage him to continue to do so. Von yeah, 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 yeah. I'm privileged to have two award-winning sixth-form colleges in my constituency. However, with no increase in funding since 2010, Winstanley College has cut German A-level from the syllabus, and St John Rigby has drastically reduced pastoral support. Does the Prime Minister believe, like the Chancellor, that these are just little extras, or will she agree it's time to raise the rate? Yeah. Prime Minister! I'd say to the Honourable Lady that, of course, if you look across what we've been doing in funding for education overall, we have been putting extra money into funding in the... Everybody says not in FE. Actually, in FE, we have invested nearly seven billion this year to make sure there's an educational training place for every to 16 to 19-year-old who wants one. We're also transforming technical education through the T levels, and with 500 million pounds a year, once they're fully rolled out, going into that. And by 2020. The funding available to support adult participation in further education is planned to be higher than at any time in England's history. Quasi Quateng. Mr Speaker, thank you very much. Um, will the Prime Minister join me in paying tribute to my constituent, uh, Dennis Brock, who will be celebrating his 100th birthday uh, next week? And uh, uniquely, he has been ringing the bells in St Mary's Church, Sunbury, for 87 years, and we believe confidently that he is the oldest bell ringer in the world. Will she join me in paying tribute to Prime Minister! Can I? Order, I, order, I, order, I want to hear about the bell ringing situation. The Prime Minister. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I say to my honourable friend that I am very happy, first of all, to wish Dennis Brock a very happy 100th birthday, and secondly, to pay tribute to him for his 87 years of bell ringing. This is, I am sure, as my honourable friend uh, says, a considerable and significant record, and I think the support that he's given and the, the uh, work that he's done, his commitment to St Mary's in Sunbury-on-Thames, is truly inspiring. Ruth Smith! Over a third of children in my great city are currently living in poverty. Our local food banks have seen a 42% increase in demand since, the, since Universal Credit was imposed on us in June. Most referrals come from the Tory-led City Council, who are refusing to give them a penny. Is this, is this compassionate conservatism? 
No. <laughs> say to the Honourable Prime Minister, she is, oh, she is well aware. We're introducing universal credit. The previous system of the benefit system we inherited from the Labour Party did not work. It left, it left over a million people living on benefits, trapped in benefits for more than a de- uh, up to a decade. What we are doing is ensuring that people have the, uh, more encouragement to get into the workplace, and when they're in the workplace, work always plays. And as I said, we have seen very good figures in the re- significant reduction in the number of children in workless households. Mr Kenneth Clark. Uh, Mr Speaker, at the moment we're in the middle of a swirl of rumours about the proposed deal with the European Union and a torrent of criticism from all the government's most ferocious uh, critics. Uh, but one of the rumours is that uh, if the Cabinet agrees the deal this afternoon, the government proposes later today to publish a white paper setting out the details. Uh, will the Prime Minister give an assurance that if and when this deal is published, a statement will be made to this House of Commons when it is produced, because it is this Parliament which is going to have to decide now what to do next, and you don't want Parliament only to be consulted after another 24 hours of rumours and criticism. We put re-establish parliamentary sovereignty and I wish the Prime Minister well in obtaining a majority for some course of action in future which is in the national interest. Prime Minister Can I say to can I can I say to my right honourable and learned friend that there are in fact two stages in this uh, potentially two stages in this process the cabinet as i said today will be looking at the draft agreements that the negotiating teams have produced and will consider and determine what the next step should be in the national interest as my right honourable and learned friend uh, requ- requests us to do and i can assure him that we will be looking at this in the national interest uh, and as i said i will what I will return to the House uh, in order to explain the outcome of that. Uh, but then is oh, I will return to the House in order to explain the outcome of that. But when, when can I also say to my right honourable friend that of course there is then the issue of when a final deal is agreed with the European Union. Uh, and ensuring, as we will, that proper analysis is available to members of this House before the meaningful vote takes, uh, takes place, and that briefings are available to members of this House on the details of the uh, proposals that lay before, so that, as he says, members of this House are able to take their decision in the light of an un- understanding and uh, of the details of the deal that has been agreed. Jane Ryan. Here. Home Office documents, the Met Commissioner, the Police Federation and now even the Home Secretary say the government's cuts to policing have had an impact on the surge in violent crime. We cannot continue to see the levels of violence which resulted in five fatal stabbings in six days in London just two weeks ago. How many times does the Prime Minister need to be told about the dire consequences before she gives our frontline policing the resources they so clearly need? Prime Minister, can I say to the Honourable Lady that I'm sure we are all concerned across this House of the attacks that have taken place in recent days in London, but indeed we are concerned about the issue of of knife crime and the serious violence that we've seen, and indeed we saw heard earlier from her Honourable Friend the reference to the use of a crossbow uh, in uh, attacking and and sadly killing an individual. Uh, She talks about police funding, though. We've protected police funding 
overall since 2015. We're putting more money into the police. We're making more money available. We've uh, announced that. But it's also, it's also about ensuring that the police and the criminal justice system have the powers they need to deal with knife crime. And if she's concerned about knife crime, I suggest she asks her right honourable friend, the Leader of the Opposition, why he voted against increasing the powers to deal with knife crime. Mr Ian Duncan Smith. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mr Speaker, um, said my right honourable friend, I'm not going to be asking about Brexit. For now, um, but uh, can I say to her that um, I was enormously proud of my government for agreeing to lower the stake on fixed odds betting terminals to two pounds because they have caused endless harm, terrible damage to families, and it was the right decision. Since then, there has been a hiatus about the date in which this would start. Can I ask my right honourable friend, is it a reality that now that we have put down an amendment, that the government will accede? and that we will get this process started on the 1st of April next year. Prime Minister. Can I say to my right honourable friend, I know he has campaigned on this issue with a passion, because as he says, this question of the maximum stake for fixed odds betting terminals is one which does have an impact on vulnerable people as well as their families and loved ones. Uh, and I recognise the strength of feeling on this issue. I know gambling addiction can devastate lives. So our priority is making sure that this change delivers the results we all want to see. We are listening to the concerns being raised by colleagues. And if my right honourable friend will have a little patience, I can tell him that my right honourable friend, the Culture Secretary, will set out further details later today. Mr Ronnie Campbell. <clears throat> the Institute of uh, Fiscal Studies has indicated that by the year 2020-22, child poverty has risen from 30% to 37%. Right. Any government who treats its people like that is not worth the salt. Yeah. But I suppose this government never had any salt anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't the government be ashamed of itself, allowing this situation to develop for children? Yeah. Yeah. Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, what we have seen under this Government is absolute poverty uh, reducing to a record low. Uh, we have also seen, as I have referenced earlier, a significant reduction in the number of children in workless households. When you look at the figures, actually three-quarters of children are taken out of poverty when their, when their household moves from being a workless household to a household with work, which is why, which is why the, the changes we are making to ensure that our benefit system, our welfare system, is one that encourages people into work and makes sure work pays are the right changes. Julia Lopez. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Former New Zealand High Commissioner and experienced trade negotiator Sir Lockwood Smith told our International Trade Committee, if you remain bound to the EU's regulatory system, you will not be able to have a significant global trade strategy. Will my right honourable friend advise if this might be one of the prices to pay for her Brexit deal? Yeah. Prime Minister. No, it is not uh, one of the uh, prices paid that she refers to. We will be able to still strike those trade deals around the rest of the world. And I'm pleased to say, as I said earlier, that there are a number of countries that are not just expressing an interest in that, but as we've seen and as I saw uh, two, three weeks ago, uh, countries like Japan and Vietnam and Australia keen that we should uh, talk to them about joining the CPTPP. 
We specifically looked at our ability under the proposals we put forward to strike those trade deals around the world, and we will have an independent trade policy. We will be able to strike those trade deals. Liz Savile-Roberts. It's no secret that Labour Welsh Government has been somewhat lacklustre in what it demands from the British Government on Brexit, so I will speak on behalf of Wales. When will the devolved Parliaments be given the, the opportunity to see the withdrawal agreement text and see for themselves the devastating effect leaving the European frameworks will have on each of the devolved nations. Yes. Prime Minister! Lady, that, as I indicated in response to my right honourable and learned friend, the member for Rushcliffe, we will ensure that information is available to members of this House on the withdrawal agreement and on the future relationship that, uh, that is agreed with the European Union. We will ensure that briefings are available, that documents are available, and that the analysis that the Government has previously committed to. Uh, itself to is available so that when members of this House come to the meaningful vote uh, on a deal, they will be able to have that information and do to make their, cast their vote against the background of that information. Sir Roger Gale. Mr Speaker, further to the point raised by my right honourable friend, the member for Rushcliffe, as soon as practicable following the Cabinet meeting this afternoon, would my right honourable endeavour to make available to all members the details of the draft agreement? so that those of us who wish to do so can comment upon the basis of fact rather than ill-informed speculation. Prime Minister! Can I say to my honourable friend that obviously the Cabinet is meeting to determine what the next steps are uh, in, relation to this, uh, in relation to this issue. Um, that if this is a deal that is then taken forward for further debate and negotiation with uh, the European Union, I believe it is the intention to ensure that the details of the, that deal are made public so people can look at the facts. Dr. Rosanna Allen Carr. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. If what is being reported is correct, the Prime Minister is set on ploughing through with a Brexit deal that will be bad for our economy, bad for our jobs, and bad for hard-working people up and down this country. If the Prime Minister honestly believes that she commands the will of the people, Will she put her Brexit deal to the people, either through a general election or, failing that, a new referendum? Prime Minister! Can I say to the Honourable Lady, first of all, we're negotiating a deal that will be good for the economy of the United Kingdom. It will be a deal that will ensure we continue to have a good trading relationship with the European Union, but also that we're able to strike independent trade deals around the rest of the world. And on the issue of the second referendum, uh, there was a referendum in this country in 2016. We asked the British people whether they wanted to remain in the EU or leave the European Union. They voted to leave, and that's what this Government will deliver. Mr. Simon Hall. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This morning, uh, an incredibly well uh, attended AGM of the thalidomide APBG yeah, took yeah. place. Could I invite my honourable friend, my, my right honourable friend, to lend her support and that indeed of the Foreign and Commonwealth Office to talk to the German government, to persuade them of the case of the merit for social justice, and to deliver a lasting solution for those who have suffered for too long. Well, can I, can I say to my honourable friend, and thank, uh, I first of all thank him for the way he has been championing this cause, and I think it is significant that so many years after 
the, uh, this, uh, this uh, thalidomide caused the uh, problems and the uh, uh, difficulties for people that it did, we still see, as he says, having people like himself and others having to campaign on this particular cause. And I will certainly look into and ask the Foreign and Commonwealth Office to look into what he says about uh, uh, the possibility of speaking to the German government on this particular issue. Mike Kane. Ashia Bibi spent eight years on death row in Pakistan for a crime she did not commit. Since the High Court quashed her conviction, she has been in hiding. Weekend reports suggested she had applied for asylum in Britain. Does the Prime Minister agree that Britain should be a beacon for human rights and those fleeing religious persecution? Prime Minister! I say to the Honourable Gentleman that our primary concern is for the safety and security of Asia Bibi and, and her family. We want to see a swift resolution of the uh, situation. Uh, obviously, there is an issue for the government and courts in Pakistan, and the Prime Minister Imran Khan has publicly supported the Supreme Court and promised to uphold the rule of law while providing continued protection for Asia Bibi. But a number of countries are in discussion about providing a safe destination for her once the legal process is complete. I'm sure the House, I'm sure the House will understand. Given the sensitivity of this case, it wouldn't be right to comment on the details of those proposals at this stage. But we remain in close contact with international partners to ensure Asia Bibi's long-term safety and her interests. In Vickers. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, the Prime Minister confirmed earlier that we will indeed be leaving the common fisheries policy, which is very welcome, but she'll be aware there is still considerable concern with the, within the industry. Can she give an absolute assurance that it will be for the UK and the UK alone to determine who fishes in our national waters uh, after a deal is signed? Yes. Prime Minister. I reassure my honourable friend that we will become an independent coastal state and it will be the UK negotiating on the UK's behalf in terms of access to UK waters. Kate Hurry. Speaker, uh, the Prime Minister will know that back in 1965 there was a neighbourhood agreement between Northern Ireland and the Republic that each could fish in each other's six mile water. Two years ago the Irish Republic reneged on that. We, of course, be playing the moral high ground, didn't renege. So now all the Irish fishermen can come into the Northern Ireland waters, but Northern Ireland fishermen can't go to the Republic. Would she try and speak up sometimes for Northern Ireland fishermen and not feel that she always has to be supporting the Irish government? Prime Minister, right honourable lady, that consistently throughout these negotiations, one of the issues I have had at the forefront of my thinking has been the people of Northern Ireland. She raises a specific issue about fishing, and I'm happy to look at the specific issue of the six mile waters that she has referred to. We will become an independent coastal state, as I've just said in response to my honourable friend, and we will ensure that it is the United Kingdom that is negotiating on behalf of the UK for access to UK fishing waters. But the people of Northern Ireland are at the forefront of our concerns in relation to the deal that we're negotiating. The Prime Minister is to be commended for initiating her race disparity audit, which showed, amongst other facts, that traveller children have the worst educational, health and employment outcomes of almost any group. Given the acute distress also caused to many settled residents by this policy, 
and given the support for my 10-minute rule bill yesterday calling for a review of this area across the House, would the Prime Minister please appoint a senior Cabinet Minister to undertake a complete review of this area so we can have better outcomes for all of our constituents? Well, well, my my honourable friend raises an issue which I know is of concern for many uh, across the the UK in terms of what they see in their own constituencies. And as he said, there is also a concern about the impact on the educational attainment of of traveller children. As he will know, we published a consultation on tackling unauthorised encampments in April, and we will respond on that in due course. But we are committed to strengthening the authorities, uh, local councils and the police's powers to address these problems and to ensure uh, fair play. And we take this issue very seriously, and we're carefully considering the response that we can give to the consultation. On break. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister confirm that her deal will leave the United Kingdom a rule-taker, not a rule-maker? In other words, a vassal state. And isn't the best way to get herself out of this mess that she and her colleagues have caused by allowing the people a vote in a people's vote? Prime Minister! And I say to the right honourable gentleman, and I think I have given him the same answer to this question on a number of occasions, the people... this. This Parliament gave the British people the vote on whether or not to stay in the European Union in 2016. The British people voted, they voted to leave, and it is this Government that will deliver on that vote and deliver Brexit. Order. 